van life. What's up, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Frankie. And I'm Alex. And together, we are FNA Van Life. This is the show where every week we talk to nomads or bring you stories from the nomadic community so that you can know what it's really like to live life on the road. We're just trying to get you guys ready to get out there and enjoy your lives. And if we can help you on your journey while you're in that lifestyle, we would love to do that. Today's episode really got us thinking, and we think it's going to do the same for you. We're going to get into our guest and all of his amazing tips for living literally the most nomadic, location-independent lifestyle that you could possibly imagine. But first, let's give a little update from the road. Ooh, update from the road. I feel like we haven't done this in a while. Even though we do it every podcast. <laughs> Maybe it's because our last episode was a little bit disjointed because we had been recovering from COVID. Yeah, so right now we are just south of Mexico City. We're in Puebla. And this is a place where they're known for their food, actually, here in Mexico. Yeah, but we haven't really eaten any of it because we came to the Walmart parking lot last night. We're on a little bit of a mission to get to Guatemala as quickly as possible. Not necessarily as quickly. We've got about 10 days to make it down there. But you wouldn't believe we've still got like a 16-hour drive to get to the border the distance from Puebla to the border is more than the distance of the entire country of Guatemala. <laughs> is that kind of wild to think? It is insane. And so that's why, you know, we're doing nine countries in nine months right now. But we've spent more than three months in Mexico. I mean, it's a huge country. And, you know, we knew that the Central America countries were much smaller. And, yeah, we won't be exploring every single one for a month plus. But... Some of them you could drive through in a couple hours. Yeah, like literally El Salvador would be a day drive. And a lot of people actually just like wake up super early in the morning, cross the border into El Salvador, drive the whole day and then cross the border into Honduras. We're planning on spending some time there. We've got a travel agent friend who's going to hopefully show us around. So we're excited for that. But still, how long could you spend in a country that you could literally drive through in a couple of hours? Yeah. Before we go any further, we have to give a huge shout out to our reviewer of the week, Kim and Cairo. Be sure to drop a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us five stars. It really helps the podcast grow. Kim and Cairo say, Frankie and Alex bring such joy to my life. They deliver real information in an entertaining way. If you want to know anything about van life, this is the podcast for you. Woohoo! Thank you so much for the beautiful review. We appreciate it. And we're so grateful that we could bring value to your lives and laughter. If you want to be featured next week, be sure to drop that review wherever you listen to podcasts or send us a DM on Instagram. We love hearing from you guys. It's FNA Van Life. Woo. We were actually talking to Frank's brother the other day and he was like, to be honest, I have no idea what that map looks like. Yeah. And I think even though, obviously, we've been talking about it, even Frank doesn't know what the map looks like. Well, I, have, I know that it's next to Honduras, and I know, <laughs> I know that it bordered Guatemala, but I, could, I thought for some reason that El Salvador was like Honduras, and Honduras was El Salvador. Oh. You know what I mean? I thought they were maybe swapped in a sense. Interesting. Uh, like in the sense of size. Right. Because Honduras is much bigger. Honduras is and Guatemala are all kind of like similar size. And Guatemala, yeah. Yeah. And then, then like Nicaragua is bigger. Pr- pretty I think. huge compared to all of them. It's funny though because I don't know if you guys have ever heard this, but the actual map that we see of the world is <clears throat> not an accurate depiction of the landmass of the actual world. No. And it's a very European centric vision of the world. Also well, makes the United States look huge and it makes Europe look pretty huge as well. And then all of the other countries, it's actually technically kind of racially insensitive in the way that it's mapped out because the colonizers who were Europe made their colonies look very big and then all of the other countries that they deemed less than, they made look a lot smaller. So there's actually a map of the world that you can look up that's called the Orthograph world map, and it's amazing to see just how different the world looks than what you were taught in geography class. One thing I find interesting about the map is as it looks like it goes south, whether it's North America or South America or Europe uh, or even Africa, as it, go- as it goes south, it kind of rips into like this little tiny strip 
like the land mass itself isn't that wide anymore. It gets very thin as it goes down. Why do you think that? Maybe, uh, I was going to say because of gravity, but that wouldn't make sense, you know? <laughs> uh, but, like, almost maybe the way the world spins, you know, is kind of like pulling it, uh, elongating it. Who knows? We're not scientists, and this isn't a podcast about, you know, how Pangea separated. <laughs> but I just think it's interesting that a lot of what we know, especially, I don't know if it's just North American schools that don't really teach us about the world Really? I mean, we just went to a museum the other day in Mexico City that, you know, shows the vast, rich, long history of Mexico. And often you think, oh, you have to go to a European country to get, like, an old history, right? Like, Canada and the USA are so new and young countries compared to all the European countries. But Mexico is so old. There are ruins in Mexico that are from you know, B.C. times. And it's insane that we don't learn about things like that in school. Or maybe I just was a very bad student. Yeah, I mean, I, I no, I don't think you're a bad student. I think the, the fact of teaching kids about, say, American history in, Amer- in America um, and then about Europe is because that's where we kind of uh, came from as, like, a group of people. So they, they focus on that, where they should probably focus in more on, you know, the... The country of North America in general has a lot to do with Mexico and Latin America at that, you know. So I think that it would be interesting to hear them speak more about it. But how would they even speak about it? Because what we see from the news is completely wrong depiction of what it's like down here. Well, and I think there's also been a campaign against Mexico in North America. I mean, Mexico is part of North America, And I don't think that we think about it like that. I think we think Canada and the USA, and then Mexico is its own thing. But Mexico is part of North America. Oh, we get tons of our goods from Mexico, too, as well. I mean, just in one of the the recent videos that we're editing right now, I look at the filter underneath the van, and where is it made? It's made in Mexico. There's a huge amount of trade. I mean, NAFTA literally makes goods go from Canada to the tip of Mexico. We are connected as countries, but I don't think that we're connected in terms of culture and learning about each other and, you know, understanding the vast history that is available here in Mexico. I'm pretty sure that in America they celebrate Cinco de Mayo more than Mexicans. Yeah, I mean, it's not really a thing in Mexico, Cinco de Mayo, and it's interesting, like, I don't know, were you ever taught about how... You know, the Americans, you know, went to war with Mexico and took Texas? Not really. I mean, yes, I we definitely were. But it wasn't like, oh, I feel like it was depicted differently. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, the, the victors always depict the wars the way yeah. that they want to. Anyways, we're getting off topic because... Well, we're not really getting too far off topic because who we're talking to today discusses how to move to different countries. You know, and and how to become a legal citizen in each country, how many countries you could actually be a resident of all at the same time and, you know, possibly do your taxes through these different countries. And the interesting thing of that is that it gives you so many options in terms of where do you want to live? What do you feel about the political whatever's going on in one country might make you decide, oh, I want to use my other passport to go to this other country. If rules change in certain countries that don't, you know, work to your advantage or maybe they hurt you, you can lean on your second residency or a second passport. And it just really opens up the world in ways that a lot of people don't realize are possible because, you know, you're born in a country, you have that passport, and that's it. And if you are a family and you're thinking about doing this, this is the perfect conversation for you because Mikkel has a family and two kids that absolutely love their lives. And if anything, he feels that this has enriched their lives even more. Now they're living down in Panama, and maybe possibly we'll have an opportunity to see them when we are in Panama. But it's just kind of wild to think. People are worried about you traveling with a kid in just like say a van they've lived in so many different countries one of his kids was born in the middle east the other one was born in uh i can't remember but you guys will find out in a couple find of out minutes in the podcast it's just incredible to think 
that these kids are so well-traveled. They're more well-traveled than most humans are in their whole lives, and they're only six and, uh, baby. and younger. So, you know, it's kind of wild to get a perspective of, you know, what a father thinks about his children and the type of lifestyle that they live in. Yeah, so we're very excited to bring you Mikel from Expat Money, and we're going to dive right into this conversation. Thank you so much for being here today, Mikel. We're really excited to talk and learn more about Expat Money and all of the you know, amazing adventures and lessons that you can teach us from, you know, almost 20 years of being a nomad. So how about you take us back to the very beginning? Where it all started. Yeah. Sure, absolutely. And thank you very much for having me on the show. I think it's such a cool concept and what you guys are doing is so amazing. So I'm really happy to be here. So what happened with me was when I was a small child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And I was in grade three and the teacher pulled me out of school one day and they brought me to a little room and the principal was there and the vice principal and maybe a resource teacher. And they said, Mikkel, Mikkel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, special school for special boys. So that's what they did. Every day for three years, I got on a little white bus and I took a little white bus across town and I went to this quote unquote special school. Now, The only problem was it was actually a regular school with a special class. So you can probably imagine what happened. I got in a lot of fights. I got picked on and I got bullied. Now, this is no poor me, woe is is me, poor Mikkel victim mentality. That's not who I am or what I stand for by any stretch of the imagination. And when I got hit, I hit right back. I'm not going to claim otherwise. But um, what it did was really leave a bad taste in my mouth for public schools and, and state-run schools. So anyways, fast forward, I, uh, I went to this quote-unquote special school for three years, and then I was eventually allowed to go back to my neighborhood school. And I thought, wow, this is going to be so amazing. There's going to be all my friends from before, and they're going to be so excited to see me and you know, curious what happened, and everyone's just going to be so happy. It's going to be amazing. And I showed up at school. And once again, you can probably imagine what happened. All the kids started, you know, gossiping and whispering. Oh, I know Mikkel. He went to some retard school. Thanks, guys. Really politically correct. Very, you know, sensitive. Children are very sensitive <laughs> type, of, type of situation. But um, I, uh, I started failing um, in school. And then I stopped going. And then somehow I would squeak by. And then I'd not show up for class again and then I'd fail that and they'd send me to summer school and I'd fail that and basically at uh, at 12 years old I stopped going to school and at 15 I officially dropped out and I started traveling internationally not long after that and when I got overseas and I started meeting so many other people we didn't call it digital nomad or anything back in the day this is back in 2000 so you can figure 22 some odd years ago um, you know, we were backpackers. So I met all these backpackers on the road and I met all these incredible people who were doing amazing things. And I really saw that there's not only one way to learn things and, and public education is not for everybody. And I started to learn about the dim- different immigration in different countries and how everything fits together. And uh, fast forward now, and yeah, I've been a digital nomad or an expat. Uh, I, I prefer the term expat because I really do spend a significant amount of time in the place. But uh, for 22 years straight now, and I mean straight, I mean, I have not stopped at all. Uh, I visited, I think it's at 110 countries now. I've circumnavigated the globe over 400 times, and I've lived in nine different countries. So, you know, going overseas is, is really who I am, and being an expat and being a nomad is, is, is who I am. And that's what I built my business around. That's my personal life. That's everything. All the secrets that I've learned and all the the insights that I've learned over the last 22 years is what I do for helping my clients to go offshore and be expats. I think it's really amazing because, you know, travel is such an education in itself. And I had kind of a similar situation in high school with like bullies and things like that that just made me not want to participate school system. And then, you know, you end up doing really badly on all of your tests and everything because you don't want to show up because, 
you know, those certain kids are there that you don't want to deal with. So, you know, unfortunately, my experience in high school didn't end with me traveling the world, you know, 400 times. So were your parents on board with all of this international travel? It sounds like you were pretty young when you got started or was were you just kind of like, I'm out of here, like, goodbye? Yeah, I mean, my parents were not exactly on board with me leaving school at such a young age. Now, when I started traveling, my parents were on board. You know, my father was a backpacker back in the 70s uh, when he was much younger and always told me that travel was the greatest thing he ever did with his life. And I always wondered, I'm like, well, if it was the greatest thing you ever did with your life, why did you only do a three, three, four month trip to Europe you know, in the seventies, why didn't you do more? Why didn't you like experience more? And, you know, when I first started traveling, I, I saw exactly what he was talking about. It is the greatest thing you can do with your life. Absolutely. Um, so much so that I, I did decide to dedicate my life to it. Yeah. I wonder now, like, cause I feel the same way. I think a lot of us out here on the road feel the same way. Is, is there, an opportunity for kids that at, you know, say 15 year old, 15 years old to, you know, create this type of lifestyle for themselves and, and have an opportunity to learn a lot more just about life in general. Well, okay. I'll give you a couple of examples. So I'm a father. I I have two children. Uh, My daughter is six years old. She was born in the middle East and uh, she's been to 15 countries already. She speaks three languages at native level. So she speaks English, Spanish, and Mandarin Chinese, all at native level. And she's taking Russian lessons right now as well. She even takes, she goes to piano a few days a week. We even found a piano teacher for her that speaks Russian as a first language. So all of her piano is in Russian. So she's always asking questions about countries and, you know, she'll have a piece of clothing and she, she'll remember when she got this in Colombia or in Brazil or something happened in Egypt or Japan or China or, you know, all these different places that she's been. And, and that's been her memories. That is her growing up. You know, we homeschool our children. I, I would never send my children to state-run schools after my experience with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in a very fortunate position that we can homeschool her and, and we're financially well off. So, you know, we can travel with the kids and, and, uh, and it's a great experience for kids. I think that it's just the best education you could possibly give someone and having a worldwide perspective and and seeing things from other points of view, nothing beats travel, nothing. I couldn't agree more for the listeners though, that are out there that do have families. I know a lot of people for them, it's hard for them to, you know, uh, have the understanding of, you know, a kid not growing up with the normal socialization of like public school. Um, how do your kids deal with that? And do they seem to uh, be able to formulate long-term friendships with, uh, with people? Yeah. A lot of people really don't understand homeschooling. And I think that, I think that we're seeing a massive awakening after the last two years of the pandemic that uh, a lot of people's eyes are being opened. This uh, quote, quote unquote, normal socialization or, or normal public school, we're seeing really how broken the mainstream education is. And we're seeing massive amounts of people pile into to homeschooling, unschooling, world schooling, all of these different types of things. You know, this has really happened as education has gone virtual and parents are looking over their shoulders of their kids and seeing what's being taught in there. And a lot of people really don't agree with the value system that's being taught. I certainly don't. So I'm very grateful that I do not have to send my child to an a organization like that who is going to teach her values that I don't agree with. Now, as for her having friends, she has more friends than I do. I mean, she is super popular. She does karate four days a week, two hours a day. She goes to piano. We do homeschooling co-ops. So I'm at home right now. My kids are downstairs and we have a private art teacher who comes three days a week. And a couple of the kids, the neighborhood kids who are also being homeschooled, they, uh, those kids come over to the house. So there's, you know, three or four or five people downstairs right now doing private art lessons for the next two hours. Um, 
that's an amazing opportunity for a child to learn and learn in a way that speaks to them. Uh, they get to interact with other human beings. They get to problem solve and think critically about things. Uh, she's very social. She's can have conversations with adults and um, no, it's, it's not a negative. It's a positive. Trust me. <laughs> that's amazing. I think more people need to hear that because of kids I could never you know hit the road it's just not possible because I have kids but you know you're proof in the pudding and we've met so many other nomads on the road that have children that just they make it work and those kids seem to be thriving so I don't oh, think it's yeah. any you know detriment to the kids definitely you're a hundred percent right I mean I got told when I was starting to travel like oh have fun now get it out of your system because one day you're gonna have to come home to London Ontario Canada and settle down and if you ever want to get married or if you ever want to have a proper career or if you want to have kids you'll have to put all this nonsense behind you it's like you have no idea what you're talking about I create my own reality I take responsibility for my own life and by extension my children and I've created this. I've worked my butt off to have all of these types of things. But this is, you know, this is my my hobby. It's my business. It's my personal life. Like from the personal side, I told you I'm I'm Canadian. My wife is from mainland China. We met in Germany. We got married in the Seychelles in Africa. My daughter was born in Abu Dhabi and we did birth tourism in Brazil. My son was born in Brazil. And we live in Panama right now. We have a home in Panama. We're buying another home in Turkey. And it's like, like we created that we can do whatever we want and trust me if a kid from a with a learning disability with dyslexia who drops out of school at 12 years old can do this like literally anybody can anybody it's can actually, it's actually kind of funny cuz you and I both share the fact of having dyslexia and uh you know going through school with a learning disability that was um very difficult uh to deal with uh for me for me, it was a little bit different because I actually went to school to hang out with my friends mm. uh, more so than it was for the learning process of it. I personally think that for myself, just like you, if I would have had an opportunity to actually travel and have an opportunity to learn via experience rather than maybe the um, you know sit down inside the classroom type of experience, you know my my life would have been much different. Um, mm -hmm. Somehow, some way, I still found, you know, travel to be what I want to do um, and what we do now today. Uh, you know, I I find it very admirable, too, of you and your, your wife and the fact that you guys have traveled all of these places and uh, also now have children from all over the world and have a concept of, I guess, what real freedom is, too, in, in a general sense, because to be able to travel that much and go wherever you want to go and live your life and make these, all these different opportunities come to a reality for yourself must feel free. Absolutely. I would, I would certainly consider myself a freedom seeker and, and that is what I do. And that's what I help my clients with. That's a, that is the, the purpose of my business. Like we haven't really gotten to it in today's conversation, but I'm dealing with all the immigration issues and the tax issues for people. And I see that as a viable path towards freedom for someone. This is the best vehicle I know to find freedom is being international. If you are only living in your, you know, your same city that you were born in, that you grew up in, that you did your career in, that you met your childhood sweetheart and married her and Great. That's awesome. But your understanding of the world and how, you know, your place and, and other people's place fits into the world, their perspective, um, how everything fits together, what's really happening out there. I mean, it's it's just going to be really, really difficult if you haven't traveled. So I think that that true freedom is being able to have the option to do all of things, having the courage, having the understanding uh, and and building a life where you take advantage of all these things. So let's talk about how having multiple passports can help you achieve that freedom. I think that's something that you help your clients with. And we've actually been looking, like I'm from Canada originally, Frank is from the United States. I have a green card in the United States. We've been talking about you know, having Frank immigrate to Canada for like a number of benefits, including healthcare and things like that. But we, you know, I was born there and he was born in the United States. And so that's, you know, 
feels easy versus like, you know, getting your Panama papers or things like that. Ooh, the Panama papers. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. But can you kind of explain a little bit more about, you know, how you're going about getting all of these different visas and passports and immigration and all that kind of stuff? Because I think that can feel really overwhelming for people. Sure. So, okay. One of the main things to understand about a U.S. citizen, Frank, is that you're paying taxes on worldwide income, no matter where you live in the world. So let's say that you decide that you wanted to go live in, I don't know, you wanted to go live in Costa Rica for the next 10 years and you don't want to go back to the United States. The IRS is still going to come after you. It's still your legal responsibility to file and pay taxes on worldwide income. Now, there's a couple of strategies to legally reduce those taxes, but you're still going to have the filing requirements. Now, Alexandra, as Canadians, we have a very different system. Our, our tax system is based on, it's called residency-based tax system. So we could move to Costa Rica or Panama or any of these types of countries. And we, uh, we tell the Canadian government that we are leaving. We have a permanent residency somewhere else. We sign some paperwork. We pay all applicable taxes. And then we leave. And we have no filing requirements for the rest of our lives back to Canada. Now, there's 193 countries in the world, and you know there's only two countries in the world that tax based on citizenship. One is Eritrea, which is a small country in Africa, which is known for blatant human rights violations. And the second is the United States. So I will let you make your own correlations on how they view taxation and the the, the fairness of this. So... What you could do, and I'm certainly not giving you advice, is you could go to Canada, Frank, and you could spend 1,350 days in Canada as a permanent resident, apply for your Canadian citizenship, get your Canadian passport, then renounce your U.S. citizenship. You would still have one of the strongest travel documents in the world and anywhere else in the world that you decided to live and you went about it the correct way, like I described earlier, you would no longer be obligated to pay taxes. So. Those are very, that, that's a very concrete reason on why someone might want to have a second citizenship or get rid of their U.S. citizenship and change for something else. But let's say that you already have a good passport and you're looking for a second or a third or a fourth passport. What you would be looking for is overlap in the visa-free access to those countries. So for example, my wife is uh, from China. She has visa-free travel to 81 countries. When I go to Europe, she can't come with me. We have to apply for a Schengen visa every single time. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to survive a plane crash or to get mauled by a bear? Every week on What Was That Like, the podcast, you can hear true, crazy stories from people who survived situations just like that. Scott finds guests with the craziest stories and he lets them tell you what it was really like. And not all the stories are bad. Some of them are about winning $100,000 on the Wheel of Fortune or finding the love of your life from a wrong text message. What Was It Like is a super fun, engaging podcast, and you're definitely going to add it to your favorites so that way you can listen and find out exactly what it's like to get mauled by that bear. Go to whatwasthatlike.com or search What Was That Like on any podcasting app, including Spotify. Now, we've talked about doing her Greek golden visa, which would be a golden visa in Greece with no minimum stay in the country, which would allow her to come and go from the Schengen visa anytime she wants. This is a huge benefit. I mean, I go back and forth multiple times during the year to speak on stage or, or present about these types of things. And now she could come with me because she has this special visa. And there's just so many other things. If you have to send your passport away for special stamps because you need a visa to get in somewhere, if you lose your passport and you need a backup, if the country decides that they're not going to renew it, which I was just in Lebanon a couple of weeks ago, and Lebanese who are living overseas are not getting their passports renewed. So they're literally stranded overseas. Now, if they had a Lebanese and another country, they could still travel. They could go somewhere else. So it's just like the list just piles on on why it's good to have second residency and passport. Does all that make sense? Yes, it does. Um, I was actually wondering about that Greek golden uh, visa or passport um, because I actually have Greek heritage and um, are looking at possibly pursuing, uh, you know, getting a passport in Greece because I have documentation of my grandfather's parents coming to the United States and I could, 
utilize that to get the Greek citizenship. Yeah. So what you're talking about is citizenship by ancestry. So there's many countries in Europe who do this. Also Ireland and Poland and Italy and many countries over in Europe will offer you citizenship by ancestry based on your family lineage. So if you have documentation of parents, grandparents, in some cases, great grandparents, then absolutely you should take advantage of this. And most of those European countries have really strong passports. I mean, we sell citizenships. We sell in a, in a few countries, the government offers what's called citizenship by investment. And in some of the cases, they are a million dollars. Okay. You pay a million dollars for the citizenship in the passport. And people do it, thousands of people do it every single year. So if you have ancestry, that's kind of on the same level. You're basically getting a million dollar citizenship for free. I say free, you're gonna have to pay a few grand in legal fees or maybe a, a consultant or an advisor like me. Um, but let's say all in, you know, 10, 20 grand maximum, maximum, maximum. And the benefit is a million dollar citizenship. Like that is an, a no brainer. Like you should definitely do that, Frank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think uh, it sounds like the benefits are not only, you know, tax implications. So rather than paying the tax rate in the United States or Canada, you can pay the tax rate of the country that you decide that you want to live in. Um, mm -hmm. But then also the freedom of travel. And also, you know, in the last couple of years, you know, tax laws can change really quickly. And if, you know, with a certain passport, those can have, you know, implications on you particularly. Um, so, you know, just with the changing political climates and things like that, I think it just opens up the door to be able to say, you know, you could live in this country or this country or this country and having those options, you know, is a real blessing that I think a lot of people uh, probably take for granted if it's something that just happened because of, you know, your birth or your heritage or whatever. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think it's just so important to have backups. I, you know, I'm a, I'm very pragmatic. I'm, I'm optimistic, but I'm very pragmatic as well. I, I want to be protected. I want to protect my family. I'm, I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I have people in my life that I care for. And having a second passport and second residency, I look at it as political insurance. You know, things are changing all over the world and in such an accelerated rate. The more options you have, the better off you're going to be. And the thing is, with insurance, you have to have the insurance plans in place first. You can't, you can't get uh, fire insurance the day after your home burns down or auto insurance the day after you get T-boned. You, know, you need to have these things in place first. And it's the same thing with the residencies and citizenship. Get them done now. And actually, as we're speaking about it, I'm going to give you one other example. And I think this is so applicable for your audience. Um, so during the COVID pandemic, what happened was a lot of the countries closed their borders to non-residents. They closed their borders to tourists. So digital nomads are kind of up shit's creek. Now, if you are a citizen of that country or a permanent resident of that country, you could still come and go as needed. So if you wanted to keep traveling, if you had a home, if you needed to go somewhere, you could still do that because you were a permanent resident or a citizenship. Now, with the digital nomads, a lot of people had to cut their travels short. They had to go back to Canada or the United States and wait this out. Not me. I mean, I've been traveling nonstop for the last two years and going crazy, going to all of the different places, but I've been doing it legally and I, and I know how to do it. There have been some options, but the options have been diminished considerably. So anybody who's listening who is a digital nomad or wants to be a digital nomad, going about it the legal ways are, is very, very smart. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think we would advocate for anybody to do travel that's, mm -hmm. you know, not in the legal way. Um, we actually last summer got into not a real pickle, but we were trying to drive to Alaska through Canada and the Canadian border was still closed to non-residents. So they would allow me to drive through but they wouldn't allow Frank to drive through, even though we had work papers that mm -hmm. said that we needed to work in Alaska that summer. They were like, no, that's not essential enough of a job. Like you can't go. And so it definitely stopped our plans in their tracks. And we had to figure out, you know, a different way to get to Alaska. We ended up shipping our vehicle. Um, but it definitely, you know, if Frank already had his Canadian residency at that time, we could have just 
drove right through, no problem. And it was also something that now is documented, uh, you know, with the Canadian um with the Canadian border crossing that I tried to cross and was not allowed to get through. So, you know, now when I cross the border, they, and they look up my paperwork, they see that. So they ask me the question, like, why weren't you able to go through our country? You know? So mm-hmm. it's just a, an extra step now that I have to deal with. I mean, it's, it still was easy to get through, but it's like a red flag and they know of it now. Yep. That yep. makes perfect sense. So let's talk about how you've been making an income and earning money. One of the biggest things that people ask about, you know, before they get on the road or even like how to become a digital nomad and what kind of careers can I do and how can I work online? And I think there's a lot of, you know, confusion and uh, hesitancy around creating a digital career. Um, so what's been your experience with that? You know, obviously I'm sure it's changed over the last like 20 years, but maybe you can kind of outline some of the things that you've done in the past and just kind of giving people ideas of, you know, maybe what they could be thinking about when it comes to making money remotely. Sure. I mean, I started very basic. I just worked whatever random job that I could saved up a lot of money and then, the basic concept of geo arbitrage. If I if I worked a lot in Canada and saved up money, my dollars went really far in Guatemala, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I started traveling. Uh, when, like years, years later, I got into investing and I traded derivatives for seven years and I was making an online income by, by trading. Um, I'm not necessarily recommending that. Um, I mean, it's it can be difficult to get started, especially, you know, you need a bit of a, a bankroll behind you or savings that you can do. And, you know, it's just as easy to lose money as it is make money. But um, that's what I did for, for the next seven years. And then probably about 10 years ago, I got into entrepreneurship. And I think that is really my calling. I just love entrepreneurship and, and where that fits in. Um, right now, my business is a seven-figure business. I do very well for myself. It's a consulting firm. Uh, you can think of it as a shared family office or a virtual family office style business. So I have lawyers who I work with and CPAs and, and service providers that I partner with, and they help people with all of these different immigration issues. So clients come to me, high net worth clients, and They need to go offshore and we need to deal with their tax issues, their immigration and restructure their businesses and purchase them real estate and brokerage accounts and crypto and everything offshore. And then how is it viewed by your government and their government? So I advise them on all of this and and it's very good, Um, helping a lot of people. I love doing the one-on-one consulting. I like seeing the results and the, the stress leave people's faces and their shoulders and their you know, they just kind of settle into their seats after a couple of calls and they they feel really good about what's happening and, you know, they feel really calm and uh, and a lot safer for, for them and their families. So that's um, that's kind of what I have done over the last 22 years. Random jobs to being a professional investor to being an entrepreneur and, and building a business. So I've kind of had the gambit between many different things. But this is this is my real calling is is helping people. I think a lot of people take for granted that you don't have to know what that, you know, seven figure career is going to be when you first start out. And I think, you know, doing those random jobs and having many different, you know, an entrepreneur gives you skills and friends and the knowledge to kind of find the path that you're meant to be on. I think a lot of people think that they need to have it all figured out before they've, you know, left home. And, you know, for us, that certainly wasn't the case. We left with some savings and, you know, things have kind of unfolded over the last couple of years. And I don't think that we could have foreseen, you know, all the different avenues that we have now to earn income, you know, three years ago. And even the ones that unfolded on the road that we were offered positions that we did, you know, we, we politely declined just because we didn't want to be in a specific place uh, for a long period of time. So mm-hmm. getting on the road and just getting yourself out there and you'll, you'll see these things unfold in front of you that you didn't realize were even possibilities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the opportunities that 
present themselves to you when you're digital nomad or an expat. There is no way you're going to be able to, to guess or foresee how this is going to happen. The, the point is to be constantly putting yourself in uh, opportunities and, and experiences that are going to open as many doors as possible. And you'll figure things out. If you go in with a good attitude, if your eyes are open and, and you're, you're happy to participate and you're an honest and ethical person, it will work out. Like they say, it all works out in the end. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end. That has been my motto for 20 some odd years of traveling. And it has done me extremely well. I love that. Yeah, me too. So let me ask you this. So it sounds like at the beginning of your travels, you were probably more on a bootstrap kind of budget. And then obviously life has changed. You've started a family. You know, how is your life, you know, pre-family man or like your travels were you traveling in a different style? Like now it sounds like you kind of like to get to a place and spend a fair bit of time there before moving on. Did you used to travel really fast and hard? Like what was your kind of, you know, life on the road like? <laughs> yes, <laughs> all of it. I um, I started very cheap. Like, I mean, with so little money. I actually hitchhiked for 18 months through Central and South America uh, yeah, 18 months on the road with like a big red backpack, a tent and a jar of peanut butter. And oh, I was just go, 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 go. And that was fun. And I loved it when I was 19 years old and, you know, completely fearless. Fantastic. And as I made more money, I upgraded from a tent to a hostel and from a hostel to a pension and from a pension to a hotel to a Airbnb. And now mostly it's five-star hotels or or houses or stuff like that because I got lots of people with me. We even travel now with my mother on the road. So she she lives with us full time. She helps take care of our, um, our daughter. Well, our daughter and our son now. Um, we travel with a maid, with our nanny. Uh, we got a whole big entourage who travel with us now. But money was never going to be one of the things that stopped me from doing what I wanted to do with my life. Just the the amount of money that I spend has changed, but not the travel. Like, I mean, I still go to the same place. I still go out. It's just what I can do that I'm there or the, the quality of the meals or the, the nice of bottle of wine or, you know, now I fly first class and business class before I would fly the crappiest budget airline economy class, you know, but, but the travel is still there. It's amazing because it gives us so much perspective because we're kind of in the beginning of our stages of travel. You know, we do travel via van, which is a, a little bit different, but, you know, we understand the struggles of trying to to make it, you know, right now mm -hmm. we're th two and a half to three years into creating our own, you know, business and brand. And, um, you know, we feel the struggles of what it is and, and are we going to make enough money this month? And, uh, but at the same time, when we look back to the very beginning, we were making zero dollars, you know, yep. so it, it's a it's amazing to hear your success in it because it makes us understand and realize that we're destined for something very similar. Well, here's the thing. The people who are listening to this, and I, and I don't mean to beat you guys up here. I, I, I'm sorry if you're listening to this in your cubicle. Uh, I, I'm not trying to be mean by any means, but you're not going to get your you're not going to get your dreams if you just keep doing the same thing. You need to actually get out there and start experiencing the world and putting things in play. And if you don't have it all planned out, if everything is not perfect right from the beginning, that's okay. It was not perfect for any of us. We've all struggled our way through this. This is hard. It's really hard. But you got to have the courage to get started. And like you said, Frank, like, you started with zero and now you do have an income and it will grow and you will build assets and you will become more valuable in the marketplace and more people will pay for your products and services because you're able to help more people. You're doing a good thing. That's entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is the act of solving problems. That's quintessentially what we do. We find problems when we solve them. That's the most noble career on planet Earth. But you got to get started. You got you got to do these things. You can't just think about it or or wish or hope or you actually have to go out there and make your your dreams a reality. I love the saying "leap and the net will appear." I think that there needs to be like a little bit of you know planning and a little bit of cushion and a little bit of you know you don't just want to 
you know, wake up on a Monday, quit your job and then start traveling. Or maybe you do if you have, you know, a little bit of money saved up, but like getting yourselves into these experiences, meeting the people, going to the new places, expanding your mind, you know, finding new connections, finding new passions, you know, it's, it's a long and winding road. And especially when you're, you know, traveling all over the country or the world, you know, you never know what kind of opportunities are going to present themselves in front of you. But like you said, if you're just sitting in your cubicle, not making any changes, doing the same thing day in, day out, none of those opportunities are ever going to come knocking at your door. Yeah. I think that even if you did decide you're going to quit, you're going to put down this podcast, you're going to walk into your boss and you're going to give your resignation and you go overseas and you don't like it or it doesn't work out or it's not what you thought. And you come back in six months from now, you you'll find another job. I mean, or you go back to your old job and you say, Hey, listen, I went and had this experience and decided it's not for me. I mean, none of this stuff is like irrevocably like damaging or, you know, a blank spot on your CV, your resume. Like, I mean, that can all be explained. So I, I am a sink or swim dive head, you know, head first into these types of situations in all situations. I'm an intense person. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, but uh, after doing this for a very long time and meeting many people around the world, I just, you know, I think you'll be okay. I believe in you guys. I believe in you. <laughs> so how many passports do you currently hold? Uh, I do not discuss that on public for <laughs> certain reasons, but let's just say I, I do very well in, in the residency passport. Uh, okay. Is is there yeah. a way to have residency in multiple places at once? Uh, yes. That way you could come and go. Definitely. Without having to actually have your boots on the ground. Because what we're finding now is that for my residency in America, there's an actual requirement of having, like being there to be a resident of there. So most countries will have some type of minimum stay on the ground. It's picking residencies that you can actually manage. So technically, there is no limit to how many residencies or, or citizenships you have. Now, practically, there might be. And I say that because it's how much you are traveling and how much you can commit to spending this time on the ground. Now, Panama, where I am, is very easy. It's one day every two years. If you can do that, your residency is active. But there are other countries where you have to spend more than six months. For example, the Portuguese D7 visa, you have to spend a, hundred, a minimum of 183 days there, which makes you a tax resident. That's not just a, a random number they pulled out of thin air. They want you to be a tax resident there, so you're paying taxation. But Portugal also has what's called a golden visa, and the minimum requirement for that is only seven days. So as long as you can do a trip to Portugal once every seven or once every year for a minimum of seven days, then you're going to keep that. We mentioned Greece earlier in our conversation. There's no minimum stay for Greece golden visa. So there's all these different things. And, and if you have a citizenship, there's no minimum stay whatsoever. You can become a citizen and never go there. We do citizenship by investment for people in the Caribbean. You don't even have to visit the country to get the citizenship or the passport. You do your oath of allegiance via a Zoom call or a Skype call, and they FedEx you your passport. So there's many ways to skin the cat on this one. Has it kind of opened up a lot since the pandemic? Because, you know, the idea of doing your immigration via Zoom, that feels like a very like post-COVID world kind of situation. Have things changed? They have changed in some regards like that, where you might not need to visit the country to get the residency or the citizenship. However, in the same vein, there's as many countries that making an appointment is now 10 times harder and 10 times slower. You know, we were doing our residency in Brazil and normally it takes 10 days to get your residency appointment. For us, it took 11 months, okay? 11 months. That's insane. Add to that, a lot of the programs have closed over the last two years. So you have uh, Portugal that, you know, I, I mentioned their golden visa. You used to be able to invest a lot less, and you used to be able to do it in Lisbon and Porto and the Algarves. Well, now you have to do it out in the countryside. 
Panama's friendly nation visa went from a $5,000 bank deposit to a $200,000 real estate investment. Nicaragua's investment program is slated to increase. What else? Uh, Cyprus citizenship by investment closed. Um, Vanuatu citizenship by investment lost visa-free travel to the Schengen zone. It's on um, suspension. There's just so many of these countries. Uh, Montenegro, Montenegro, they were supposed to close it last year. They ended up increasing it by a hundred thousand euro donation. Now it's extended to the end of 2022. Then that's going away. All these programs change. They get more expensive. They get more difficult. The KYC AML, uh, know your customer anti-money laundering documentation becomes a lot more arduous. There's more hope, hoops to jump through. It's it has not become an easier world since COVID. It, it has become more difficult. It seems like that whenever the visa process or citizenship process for countries is easy, you should really jump on it. Oh, definitely. These programs are getting worse and more difficult, more expensive. If there is a program out there that you like or that seems to be good or or you're not even sure what's out there and you need help, then you get a hold of me or check out my podcast at expatmoneyshow.com um, or go to the podcasting apps, download our podcast or go to my website, expatmoney.com um, and check out all these different residency programs. Everything that I'm talking about, I write about on a daily basis, but the programs are changing all the time. So if there's one out there, then move your butt and get it done because it will not be available for very, very long. And, you know, while the doors are open, I can help you go through them. And, and, you know, the, the objective here is more freedom. So I'll, I, as long as it's illegal, I'll help you. If it becomes not legal, I'm not going to bend any of the rules or falsify anything, you know, more freedom, not less freedom. So it's good to do now. So if people, you know, this is a podcast, obviously our listeners love podcasts. What could they expect from your show if they come over to listen to expat money? Sure. So first of all, our podcast has been going for over six years. So we've done over 200 episodes of the show. We have big entrepreneurs on the show like Grant Cardone. We've got big investors on the show like Jim Rogers. Um, my friend Doug Casey's been on there. Uh, lots of like very well-known names, but also lots of inspirational stories from other digital nomads, people who have built their businesses overseas, either as expats or digital nomads. We deal with the lifestyle. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning of today's conversation about the, the family aspect. I mean, I put out a lot of content regarding that because I am a father. Um, so, you know, it's applicable in my life and I enjoy talking about these types of things. But we've got the the real mix after 200 episodes. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of, lot of topics on there and the, the episodes go for anywhere from 60 minutes to two hours. So we do really deep dives on things. Um, very highly rated show. Yeah, uh, I think it's really good. I, I get a lot of good feedback from it. So if you guys go to your favorite podcasting app and you type in expat money show, you will find the podcast on there. And then the blog is expat money. So if you go to expatmoney.com, you'll find similar type of stuff in the blog, but maybe a little bit different, more articles opposed to interviews. That's awesome. I'm sure lots of people are going to be coming to check you out. So before we sign off with you, let's give your best words of advice for somebody who is, you know, thinking about leaving that corporate job. They're ready to make the leap. They want to travel, whether it's internationally or whether it's in a van, van life. You know, what is your golden nugget of wisdom that you like to impart on people who are just embarking on this journey. I'm not sure if I am a golden nugget of wisdom kind of guy, but I will I will say that it's important to get out there and and do things and and try things. And don't worry about having all the plans in place or knowing exactly what's going to happen and how everything is going to fit together. It all just kind of happens naturally and even if you make mistakes and you screw it up or it costs more money. Who cares? It's a learning experience and you'll be able to laugh about it afterwards and tell stories. And I mean, some of my greatest stories are from some of my worst screw ups doing this stuff. So it's okay. Um, the world is inherently a good place. People are good. I mean, I've traveled to Iran and North Korea and Zimbabwe and all these random places that are supposed to be really, you know, 
challenging and difficult and scary and dangerous and evil. And uh, they're not. I mean, people are people. People are inherently good. And it's okay. You'll figure things out. It'll be <laughs> that. That's that's my uh, my advice. I would say. That's amazing. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. And we're definitely going to have all of the links down below for your website and your podcast and everything that you do. I think it's amazing that you provide so much free information to people because, you know, especially when you're starting to first kind of dabble into these things, it's really nice to just be able to like read all the information and get all the stuff before you, you know, dive in and make, you know, a monetary commitment. And I think that's kind of what we try to do here on the show as well is just give as much information as possible so that people can see that like this dream life of being a digital nomad and being location independent is possible and it's available to anyone. Yeah. Well, on that note, we're actually having a summit in November. It's November 7th to 11th. It's an online summit and it's completely free. So this might actually speak to your audience if they're not sure about these types of things or they just want to learn or have a better picture of it. Then you guys can get a free ticket at expatmoneysummit.com, expatmoneysummit.com. You just scroll down a little bit. There'll be a big orange button. Click on that, put in your name and email address, confirm, and we'll send you a free ticket for that. You know, it's a five-day conference, full eight-hour days, tons of information on the different countries, the residencies, how everything fits together, money-making opportunities, investing opportunities, uh, real estate. I mean, it's ridiculous. We're expecting 30,000 people in attendance this year. So it's probably the biggest, I, I would safely say it's the biggest offshore and expat and digital nomad conference in the world. Whew. That sounds exciting. It might be something that we could join too as well. I think we'll be in touch with you here very soon anyway, because we want to look more deeply into Greek citizenship for myself. Uh, and thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Once again, it was an absolute pleasure having you. Pleasure is all mine. Thanks so much, guys. That conversation with Mikkel was so inspiring. It made me realize that we really have to get on top of getting the Greek citizenship, especially when we're going to do the Canadian one. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I'm wondering for you guys, how many of you did it make want to kind of look into alternative residencies or alternative citizenships and, you know, what kind of spark that that inspired in you? And we know that a lot of you that listen to the podcast are in the States, are in the United States. So you probably have some type of family heritage that you're unaware of that might be able to give you direct access to a possible citizenship somewhere else. Or even here in Mexico, we've met a lot of people who've gotten their residency here, and it's actually not that complicated and not that expensive to get your Mexican residency. So that is just a door that's literally just south of you that could be opened really easily. Yeah, and just opening up those doors could change your life. I know for us, if we wanted to travel through the EU and I had the Greek citizenship and was able to automatically get it for Alex since we are married, it would just change the way that we could travel the whole EU. Yeah, absolutely. And it would just change, you know, where you think about where do you want to live and where do you want to have your business base and what are the tax rules in these certain places and which of them would be best for you. And it also even changes the simple fact of maybe countries that you could go to. There are some countries that in the EU you can go to where you can't in the United States. You know, it's all about the different tariffs that they have between each other and if they're willing to allow you to travel there or not. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I think a lot of people think that having these multiple citizenships or residencies is something that only rich people can do. I think that, you know, oh, you have an offshore bank account or you have something like that. And I think that we assume that that's for a class of people that are, you know, different than, you know, the regular Joe. But, you know, talking to Mikkel, it's very much like anybody could do this. Yes, there is a small amount of investment you know, obviously there's the million dollar passports and things like that. But for a few grand, you could get a residency in a different country. That's not a huge amount of money. Well, it's not small if you go to the traditional ways sometimes. And the traditional way sometimes would be like investment in uh, land or, you know, business. And some, a lot of the times they're like $250,000 or more. So knowing the different ways around it to where you don't have to have these huge investments in order to like get your citizenship somewhere, this is the perfect person to talk to is Mikkel. 
Yeah, so we're definitely going to be exploring a little bit more about getting our residencies in Canada and Greece and maybe doing it in tandem and, you know, maybe making it happen sooner than we thought. I mean, what's better time than now? Never. <laughs> if not now, never, right? Isn't that one of the sayings? If so, not now, then when? I don't know. I don't know. If not now, never. You want to do it now because then you might never do it. I guess that's the saying. Yeah, it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Frank's if not, it. I made love. All right. And I love it. Well, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We really appreciate everybody who tunes in every week. And, you know, I know this wasn't necessarily van life, all van life all the time. But being able to go to all of these different countries really does open the possibilities of van life to be able to go and explore the whole world. And if you don't explore and you don't give yourself an opportunity to possibly meet other people, you never know what's in store for your life. Um, and you could just literally come across the perfect person that's going to put you on to the next level in your life. So remember, explore, exploring new places and new things might just be the perfect opportunity for you to change your life. With that, we hope that you guys have an FNA day. Make sure you subscribe to their YouTube channel, FNA Van Life. All right, all that.